to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings, and let me know how I am doing. And this week, we have Joe McLeod with us, and he is pretty good at what we're going to be talking about, which is Crisis Calm, which everybody needs to know because... Sometimes just stuff hits the fan and you just have to deal with things that go on. But a little bit about him is that he's worked with clients on PR strategy, social media campaigns, reputation management, storytelling concepts, and more. And he has over 15 years of experience in public relations and marketing experience as well. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Brett. It's good to be with you. First question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I drink coffee in the morning and tea in the afternoon. And I, I used to be just straight up coffee, but I tried to limit my caffeine intake. And so I, I enjoy both. That's a benefit of drinking both is you get to enjoy coffee and the benefits of it's tea. It's true. I mean, if both are good, if you get really good coffee and really good tea, they're both really good. If you get okay coffee and okay tea, they're all right. That's right. Well, I have a question for you because I know you're a coffee connoisseur and this past week was National Coffee Day and I put out on social media, I asked the question, is there something about coffee that that PR people are drawn to it, like in this profession? Do you think there's something about this profession that makes us want coffee It's more? just that hit of caffeine and wakes you up. I think that's the main thing because most people I talk to, yes, they mostly say coffee, but is it's always it? about the caffeine hit because a lot of people... Okay. I'm not saying that people don't understand coffee, but they do actually not understand coffee from the millions of different ways you can actually roast it. And even roasting it different ways can produce different flavors is the best way of saying it. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I think there's something else too, because those of us in PR, not everyone, but it, it's a relational profession and coffee is just something good. Like when you have a good cup of coffee, it's meant for community. And so I think it just lends itself to what we do as relational people and so that's i don't know if that's true but that's just a, a hypothesis to why those of us in, in pr gravitate towards it another aspect of it i do think that when you associate meeting with people you a lot of times associate with getting coffee so there is right. that aspect of it and most part people just go to starbucks to meet people which i'm which is fine if you like starbucks and everything but when you start to get into actual coffee, you go, oh, okay, this is how you, cold brew gives you the biggest hit, mind you. And then different ways of different of brewing coffee, like pour over will give you more of the taste that you want to experience the coffee with, as opposed to drip, but drip's the easiest one to actually produce the coffee. So it always depends on what you are looking for. See, that's good. See, I didn't know all that. I'll have to remember next time I get coffee i'll be a little more conscientious about how I'll yeah order if it. you get pour over if it's good coffee it, you will taste the flavor notes drip okay. you will kind of taste it but pour over you really will taste it all right so i'm gonna ask for pour over next time i i go in but anyways we got off to a tangent about coffee and i could probably talk about it for i don't know how long <laughs> but we need to stick back to what we're talking about which is crisis calm which i mean you i guess you could say you can eat a lot of coffee for that because that could be a headache in and of itself but sure. I gave a brief overview of your expertise. Can you give a little bit more to our audience? Yeah. So I started in public relations. It's been almost uh, 18 years now, so I'm not quite at 20, but I've, in some capacity, I've worked in PR 
uh, for about 18 years. And I started off in the nonprofit sector and then I migrated over to academia. I began teaching courses in communications and I got my master's degree and uh, really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed um, being in a learning environment and then sharing what I learned. And so I, I basically took what I was learning in the classroom and what I was teaching and I wanted to move that into the boardroom and be able to, to work outside of a college campus and work with companies. And so back in 2012, my business partner, who happens to be my brother, Chad, who's on this podcast a while back, he and I decided that we would start our own firm. And we he has a, a background in PR, he went a different route. But we started up our firm and we started in training, doing public relations training, uh, working with organizations on communication effectiveness, presentation skills, public speaking. And then we expanded into not just training, but doing consulting, doing media relations uh, campaigns. But what we have really gotten into over the, the past couple of years, and one of our specialties is um, crisis communications. And so we've uh, this has been something that's been important to us. We love to be able to come alongside organizations and work with them uh, as they are preparing for or going through a public relations crisis. Gotcha. You might want to go with uh, Activision Blizzard, see if they actually need any help with their crisis plan because they are not doing well right now. Yeah, th there's no shortage of case studies and examples to pull from of people who are really missing but, it. Uh, actually, it's my next question is, what is an effective crisis plan? Well, I'll start with what it's not. It's not a, a three ring binder with hundreds of pages and tabs and indexes and charts that sits on a shelf or is tucked away in a file cabinet. Uh, in fact, the crisis plans that we help companies create are just a few pages, uh, but really it is a guide for what the company is going to do in the event of a crisis. It's going to identify who your players are, the team, the flow of information, and also just really your philosophy of communication, your principles like don't lie, be transparent. Uh, and so, you know, an effective plan, it's not just something that is written and, and, and stashed away. It really needs to be a mentality throughout the organization, especially the leadership. And that's why we encourage leaders, executive teams to go over your crisis plan um, at least once a year to, to walk through it. And that's something we will do with clients is you just sit down and we'll go through scenarios and we'll, we'll start off by asking, what are the threats out there? What are your vulnerabilities as an organization? What could happen tomorrow that could impact the organization for the rest of the week, the rest of the year? You know, what, what are your threats? And when you ask those questions, but yeah, it needs to be a plan that you're, you're conscious. And it needs to be a plan to where you're conscientiously aware of, you're going through, you're walking through the steps together. It needs to be inclusive to where you're bringing. It's not just the CEO. It's not just the CCO or the, the, the crisis manager. It's not one person. It's your team. You're bringing in people and you're, you're getting different perspectives, different ideas. You let people know that, hey, we need to be crisis aware. No organization is immune from, from a crisis. And so it needs to be inclusive. It needs to be simple. 
Uh, a plan is only as good as its ability to be executed. And so if it's too cumbersome or too layered, I mean, you know, it might look great on paper, but if it can't be understood and then acted out, then, then it's too complicated and it won't work. Uh, it also needs to be tailored to the organization. You know, we work with clients in different sectors. And so what might work uh, for one nonprofit organization, one crisis plan may need to be different for uh, a, an energy company or for some other type of business. So certainly needs to be tailored to the organization. And another thing is that a good crisis plan helps in times when it's not a crisis. Like when you're going through and assessing your communication apparatus, you're looking at your channels, your audience, how you're communicating internally and externally. A lot of times there, there are things that are that come about from that that you discover hey we can do this differently we can do this better and we've seen where companies will make improvements to their communication as part of their crisis planning so all of those elements that i mentioned are a part of what we would call a, a good crisis pr plan gotcha and then i mean since Everybody knows about the pandemic and everybody's been saying just how much we've had to pivot, which is true. I'm not saying it's not true, but how has that changed the crisis com or how to deal with crisis during the pandemic? Cause I'm pretty sure there's been some things that you can't do now that you could do before. Yeah. Well, first of all, the pandemic made everyone aware that they are susceptible to a crisis. I mean, it affected everyone. And we used to think of a crisis, I say we, like the collective we, like not people in PR, but uh, often people will think that a crisis is the local news reporter you come into your door or following you to your car because there's some scandal going on. Well, you know, crisis can be really anything that disrupts business as usual and it causes your organization to have to rethink how it's doing its operations, it's having to communicate and let people know the decisions that are being made. And so it, it's everybody was susceptible uh, to, uh, to, to this. Everybody was affected by it, and which means everybody's susceptible to a crisis. And so I think the, that was the biggest change is just people were now no longer under the illusion that it's somebody else is gonna be affected by it, that it, it, it affects us. Uh, and I didn't hear many leaders talking about uh, communication not being important anymore because it, it, it really is. Uh, but I think another way that the the pandemic changed the way we do crisis communications is that it really expanded the definition, it broadened the definition of a crisis. A crisis isn't just, like I said, the, the media descending on your organization. It could be internal. It, it, the crisis may happen and there, there'd be no news stories about it, but it's something within your organization has occurred and business as usual has been disrupted and you are called and required to act on that. And if you don't, or if you do it poorly, it's only gonna make things worse. And so we're seeing organizations that are struggling now to communicate internally. Just one example is like the, the big, almost said a recession, the, the, where people are leaving their jobs, you know, the big resignation and, and how do companies communicate internally? How do they recruit? So a crisis takes different forms. And, and I think now since we've been 
a year and a half or more into the pandemic that organizations are seeing that the, the definition is, is much broader than maybe they realize. Gotcha. And then even when you were talking about like how crisis plans can not, can help you when it's not a crisis, how do PR pros tell the difference between an issue and a crisis? Because not everything's a crisis and not everything's an issue. And sometimes we need to balance that out going, should we basically have all, all hands on deck or should we just wait this out? Yeah, that's a great point. And basically the difference is severity. I mean, an issue is just a, a bump in the road. It's a, it's an inconvenience. Maybe it's something that, that was posted on social media that was taken the wrong way and invited some criticism and you, you had to respond, but it really didn't upend your business. It didn't cause, it, it didn't consume a lot of resources. It, it's probably going to die away or die pretty quickly. Yeah, a, a crisis is obviously longer and it eats up more resources, whether it's financial, personnel. Uh, so it, it's it's the level of severity. And sometimes there may be disagreements on is this an issue or it's a crisis, depending on who you ask. But um, but you're right. If you overreact to an issue, you might well invite a crisis. But if you if you underreact to a crisis, then you could you make the crisis work. So is there a way to judge the severity? Because sometimes we're like, oh, it's not that bad. Only one news person has picked it up. But then all of a sudden it might explode on social media. You're like, wait, I wasn't expecting that. So is there a way to p pivot on the issue to a plan? Cause, I mean, to a crisis? Because it could be that an issue is just an issue. And then all of a sudden it blows up without you doing anything into a crisis. Is there a way of managing that? Because I feel like sometimes it's like, PR pros like, oh, this is just an issue. And it's like, well, a day or two later, oh, well, it looks like it's going to become a crisis soon. And it could be because it's dynamic and you, you never really know for sure. Um, I think that's why having good listening mechanisms out there, social listening, being able to see what's trending, what is your organization being mentioned on social media? Are there other issues or crises that are occurring that your organization could be connected with? So, so it's a judgment call, but, but I think it, it just kind of depends on, does it look like things are getting better or are they getting worse? And so if they're getting worse, you're getting into crisis mode. If it looks like things are, you know, you've, you've responded what you think is an effective response and it seems to be working, then that could be an indication that it's an issue and it's short lived and you can move on and it's not going to be a big deal. Gotcha. And then when there is a crisis, how can PR pros reason with those people that are upset? I know you're not going to convince everybody because there's just no way everybody's going to be like, all right, hundred percent of us agree on this, but how do you get the majority <laughs> of people? Yeah, it's tough. Well, a lot of time here that you can't reason with emotion and at face value, I, I understand that, but, but you can, you can reason and it's important to, to, to approach it the right way. You're not going to be able to reason with emotional people until you, until you validate the emotion. It's a big PR principle that is often missed. A lot of times we like to just go to the message and we like to, to go right to reason, right to the facts, right to the data. And it's not that the information is wrong, but the audience has not been primed to receive that information. So if you bypass the the emotion and, and get right to the information it, it it typically won't work 
you have to validate why people are upset, why they're afraid, why they're angry. And, and from that doesn't mean you necessarily agree with it, but it means that you're validating, you're showing empathy. And then from there, you're, you're in a better position to be able to make your case. Gotcha. And then that's also is one of my questions, like, should PR pros appeal to the emotion or to the sense because, or the reason I should say, because that is kind of a thing because you could appeal to the emotion. It's a lot easier to do that, a lot easier to convince people through emotion, but is there a way to maybe do both or maybe do more of reason? Cause reason will last longer than emotion. Emotion. You'll just be like, why was I met again? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a great question, Brett. Really both. I mean, reason and you can't bypass emotion. And I think that's the biggest lesson that we have to remember when it comes to messaging and communicating when people are in a heightened state of emotion. You can't bypass that. You have to validate it, whether we agree or not. One thing that we came up with uh, not long ago, we call it our ASAP model. And ASAP is an acronym. It stands for acknowledge. Uh, what's this? Acknowledge people's emotion and not acknowledge where they are. Doesn't mean you agree with it, but you, you're validating why they feel what they feel. Uh, S is the situation. You know, explain what is going on. Give us some context for what is happening. Uh, A is action. What action are you taking, and what action might others need to take in order to to get through the problem? And P is picture. Picture like what it would look like if we all did our part and worked together and, and what would it look like on the other end? So the, the ASAP model, I think works really well because you are, you're doing both. You're acknowledging people's emotion and which is you have to do in order to get credibility, to be able to, to, to be able to get them to the place to where they will listen to reason. And so we were talking about just, ways to avoid or things to avoid when you're doing a crisis plan. Cause everybody thinks when they do a crisis plan, Oh, we got all our bases covered. We got everything done. Nothing's going to happen to us. But I think there's probably some ways we're like, Oh, should have thought of that one. So what are some key things to avoid when writing a crisis plan for PR professionals or pros? Yeah. A lot of times PR planning and, especially when it comes to crisis planning is something that everybody knows is important, but we don't put it in the, the urgent category. It's like important, not urgent quadrant. And so I don't know so much what people leave out of the plan. I mean, obviously you want to make sure that, uh, that people who might be interacting with the public, like the frontline folks, whether it's people who are answering the phone, people are out on the field, they understand like if there's a media inquiry, where do they channel that media request? So who do they who do they send it to? And it's it's very basic, but you don't want to have an employee that just takes it upon themselves to be the the media spokesperson when you, you don't know what they're going to say. They might not have they might not have all the information. And so I mean that's a critical point. It's just to ensure that uh, even when times are calm, that people know when to and they know when a reporter or any member of the media reaches out that they need to send that to this person there's a clear identified individual there's a process and it's it's simple 
And I, I think it's good for companies to send that out on a regular basis. I mean, not every month, but just so, so people know. If not, then people, your employees might get a little suspect if all of a sudden they're getting all these directives, you know, hey, if the media contacts you, do this or do this. And I was like, why would the media be contacting us? What are, what, what's going on here? So you don't want to feed the rumor mill unnecessarily. So I would just say that's one thing. It's just to make sure that, that people who need to be in the loop are included in that plan. Gotcha. And then are there any groups of people that will never be convinced or reach? Do you think that there's just going to be that little sector of people that is just when you do everything right, because sometimes we do everything right and there's still problems with it. Are there's just going to be some people who just be like, well, we'll do our best, but there's just some group of people that's just never going to reach no matter how good your apology is, no matter how good your plan to change is going to happen. It's just one of those things are just, it's just a wash. Right. And, and the quicker that we recognize that, the better, because there are those that will not believe your message. They're going to be totally against what you say and, and you, you can't win them over. So you, you have to put that group aside. But the caveat is, is don't lump everybody in that group, because if you do, then you become cynical and you think, well, nobody's going to believe us. Everybody's the public is unreasonable. Remember, the public is just a collection of individuals. And so you don't want to put everybody in that group. But it, it is important to know that, it, that that group exists. You're really trying to appeal to people who are open enough to be able to receive your message, that are at least going to give it some consideration. An example of this, and it's a glaring example, is with vaccines. Like there, there's a difference between being vaccine hesitant and being an anti-vaxxer. Like there's two different, you know, the anti-vaxxers, it doesn't matter what you say when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccination, they're not getting it. But somebody who's vaccine hesitant, they're like, well, I just don't know enough about it. Okay, well, that's someone that is at least open to hearing more about whether or not it's safe. And, and when you're, when you have the government or and or organizations that are you know, trying to encourage people to get their COVID-19 vaccination, you don't want to discount the fact that there are people who are receptive to it. And because of that, you want to make sure that you're not insulting them either, that, that they are, if there is a, a valid concern that they have, you have to acknowledge it. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, with empathy and acknowledging. So yeah, I can understand how it might be nerve-wracking and it's new territory and you know but this is what we believe to be the best thing we think it's safe we think it's good for everybody here's our argument here's why but at the end of the day it's important to remember that in our society people get a say so and so as pr practitioners we can't make anybody do anything we have to make the best case we have to be able to defend our position but people get a choice and so so, yeah, I think that if we realize that there are those who are just going to reject the message, that's fine. It's, it's OK. That's their their prerogative. But there are those who will be open to it. And that's the ones that we really need to to focus in on as we are crafting our message. Gotcha. And then what does the future of Crisis Com look like? Does it look like more of a multifaceted approach with videos, podcasts, live streaming, if you can do it and trying to get to that more authentic touch? Because I feel like more authentic touch means you got to 
be a little bit more, I guess, live or a little bit more raw or something in that similar vein. So is that where PR pros have to branch out more when it comes to other mediums? Yeah, I think we need to, to be versatile and to be able to use these different platforms according to the message that we're trying to deliver, where the audience is, but not to to, to make sure that what we're doing is like when we take in all these tools, all these options that we're using judgment as to which is the best platform, which is the best medium in this case. Uh, you mentioned authenticity. That's that's an important part. I mean, people want to know that their organ that there's a human behind their organization, and especially in a crisis. And so, video and different uh, tools can be uh, effective. Uh, we've seen examples to where you have the CEO maybe releasing a video, a YouTube video addressing the issue. That can be very effective. Uh, you also have to look at issues like timing. Um, when is it, when is it appropriate to say what? Today, the, the media landscape has changed so much that oftentimes reporters, they may be calling to speak to a spokesperson or to speak to a representative, or they're going on that company's website on their social channels, and they're looking for what is the company saying. And so you can use your, your platforms as really a, a multi-audience reach. You're obviously reaching the audience who are, that follows you but you're making your information, your statements, your content available to reporters and others that are going to disseminate it on a broader level. So it's, it's really, I think judgment is something that, that we have to employ as we are considering which of these tools to use. All right. And fun question for you. If you could automate crisis com, where would you want to automate it? That is a question. You know how, like when you, like if you use Google translate, you type in a sentence and then it'll give you how to say it in all these different languages, you know, Spanish, French, Urdu, Portuguese, whatever. It's like a, you take your pick. If I could automate something, I would say you type out a message and the, the program would say it, not changing the meaning, but, but tailor the message to the various audiences. They would just do it automatically. That's what in, in PR we're paid to do. We're paid to, to make sure that we're getting the, the message. We're not changing it. We're not saying one thing to someone over here and a, a contradicting message to this person over here. It's the same message, but there may be components of the message that are different because they apply to the, the uniqueness of the audience. So that's a, that's a good question, but that, that would be my, my preference. All right. Yeah, that'd be nice to actually have it where you type in a message and it just translate or says it differently to different audiences, but the meaning still the same. Right. And that's the key. It was have to be all the same. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Um, well, first of all, Brett, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I love your podcast. And so it's, it's good to, to be a guest and be here. So I appreciate the conversation. I, I think what I would say just to conclude is just, this is when we look around uh, our, our world, there's a lot, um, there's a, there's a lot that's going on that could make us discouraged, but I really think this is a time for those in PR you know, to really to step up and to you know, to use our profession in a way that's for the good. And I know that sounds idealistic. Um, I mean, what's the alternative to say? Well, we're, just, you, know, we're you know we don't even try. But I, I I think leaders are they realize today that there's a need for communication, 
And so I think we can, as PR pros, really take this opportunity to pardon the cliche, but to really get our seat at the table and to really step up and say, look, we can't solve every problem in this world, but we can help address communication and we can help people and companies communicate more effectively. And that's a big problem. And that will set us up for solving problems down the road if we can just improve the way we're communicating. So that would just be something I would just encourage all, all your listeners, whether they're in PR or not, that, that there's, there really is an opportunity. And, and I would just encourage us all not to be discouraged. So what you're saying is that we need to improve relations and public relations. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's 50% of the, of the phrase, right? The relation part, right? It's yeah. Absolutely. All right. We need to get on this. We're so good at doing it for businesses. We forget to do it for PR in general. That's right. All right. That's a good final thoughts. And thank you, Joe, for joining PR 360. We're always glad to have you or anybody else on that is kind of a thought leader in their little perspective industry. But thank you for joining. My pleasure. Thank and you. Thank Brett. you for joining PR 360. As always, please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. The review it really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to doing a little bit more of a relations in public relations and see you next week. Later.